welcome to the Enchanted Ears Podcast, where we discuss anything and everything Disney. I'm Angela. And I'm Joe, and on today's episode, we're discussing the 1964-1965 World's Fair and the surprising impact it had on the Disney theme parks. We've skirted this issue so many times that it, it was just inevitable we had to actually do a full podcast on it. Yeah, initially you might be thinking, like, why are you talking about 1964? Like, that was so long ago. Who cares? But I don't think the parks would be, and we'll, we'll talk about this when we get into it, but I don't think the parks would be anywhere near what they are today if it wasn't for the New York's World Fair in 64, 65. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you on so that. So if that's not a tease for what's ahead, I don't know what is. That's professional <laughs> podcasting right there. But before we get into that, <laughs> going to cover the Disney news of the week. So we are filming this, filming this, we are recording this. Wow, we're doing really good today. We're recording. This. I mean, I'm not saying much of anything. See, that's the that is the that is the advantage of being the co-host, not the host, the one that doesn't talk as much. Because if it's messed up, it's on you, you bud. Just let me screw up. It would be real great if I was the host because it would all be a big mess up. What I'm what I'm <laughs> trying to say is we are recording this before D23. So D23 was this past weekend. There's going to be a lot of news coming out of D23. We will talk about all of that next week our thoughts and all the announcements, the shocking reveals, maybe non-shocking reveals, maybe nothing exciting happened. Who knows? But we'll <laughs> talk about all that next week. Uh, but that's why we're not bringing it up this week. But there was some other news happening this week. So Oogie Boogie Bash kicked off over at Disney California Adventure. And I got to say, it, it does it again. I mean, Oogie Boogie Bash seems to be like the greatest Halloween event Disney has. It seems like it's so much more fun than Mickey's not so scary Halloween party. Not that that doesn't seem cool, but there are just so many characters and it's just such an awesome vibe over at DCA. They have uh, Agatha over there. They have Bruno over there. They have Ernesto from Coco there uh, playing the guitar, playing his song. So uh, it, it's pretty cool. But the one thing I saw on social media, which is just kind of so over the top, it's incredible. They have Daisy, Minnie, and Clarabelle in costume as the Sanderson sisters. So it's like the perfect tie-in for the new Hocus Pocus movie coming out. And they look incredible. This is some of the, like, the best uh, costumes and outfits I've seen characters see. So again, I think Oogie Boogie Bash just crushed it again this year. Yeah, I am very jealous that we don't get these kinds of things over uh, in Disney World. Um, I also saw, I think Goofy has like a creepy tree costume. I mean, some of the costuming over there is just so unique and it just seems to be like one step above or one like, you know, it seems plus just like kind of when we talked about the last time we went to Disneyland and we started to kind of notice some of the little differences and how they seem to just sort of add a little extra spice to their rides. Um, and it was the same thing with these costumes. Yeah, I think the trade-off is that, you know, Disneyland doesn't have, like, a big parade, and they don't have, like, the trick-or-treating. Like, it's it's over at Disney California Adventure, so in terms of scale, it's smaller, so I think they make up for it with, again, it's much more villains-themed. They make up for it with these cool villains, these cool characters, uh, and just an overall, like, awesome vibe. But, yeah, definitely want to get out to Disneyland because the past couple years that they've been doing Oogie Boogie Bash, it just looks incredible. So maybe that's something we got to put on the list for next year to try to get out to Disneyland. Oh, darn. Yeah, I know. Really? <laughs> Sounds so not fun. Twisting your arm there. So, all right. And, and typically we don't talk about like crazy Bruno? rumors and speculation. We don't talk about Bruno either, <laughs> but crazy rumors and speculation. But I had to bring this up for one specific reason. So uh, a rumor came out that Disneyland Paris is uh, potentially looking at uh, scrapping the plans for Galaxy's Edge for their expansion over there in favor of potentially Pandora 
or a Lion King land. And I had to bring that up because Angela loves the Lion King. She's been calling for the Lion King to come to the parks more often. And it was interesting because when we went to Paris, there is so much Lion King over there. It's incredible. We talked about it on our recap show a couple weeks ago, if you want to hear that. So I think a Lion King land makes a lot of sense because they really love the Lion King over there. And I wanted to bring it up because Angela, I know you're going to be very excited about this. If this happens, if this is at all real, I know you'll be excited. So Joe woke up this morning and immediately starts this with me. Oh, guess what they might be doing? They might be bringing, they might be bringing uh, the Lion King to the park in Paris. And what if they actually, the rumor is they're doing this. This but is what, what I said. This is what but, I said. What, what, if, if, what if they got the land right, but the location wrong? And, and they're really working It's coming to Disney out, World. Yeah, it's Animal it, Kingdom. Animal Kingdom has that open space. And I'm like, Joe. Maybe D23. You don't understand. Like, Maybe they you, announce it. You you can't joke about these kinds of things with me because my hopes will get up. Like he told me I was in bed under the covers and I got chills, but I knew in my head that this is illogical. They're not going to do it. And you know, at least I have to tell myself that because if they don't do it, I'm going to be massively disappointed. You know what? Next week when we talk in D23, we might be talking about surprise Lion King land coming to animal kingdom. Now the question is, are they going to base it off of the animated version or the live action version? My guess Probably is live neither. action. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're not thinking this is happening, but it's. I think it's an interesting rumor. Um, I think Pandora makes a lot of sense. When when we were actually over in Paris, I was talking about that. Of like, why haven't they built um, a Pandora anywhere else? It, it's such an incredible land. It would make sense to build it somewhere else. But the Lion King again. The Lion King is really big over in Disneyland Paris. So I would not. I be mean, the Lion King is really big. They just Disney seems to just ignore it. Yeah, but but definitely over in Paris, there's a lot of Lion King merch, and he's you know Simba is really predominant over there. So I would not be surprised by this at all. But I wanted to throw that out there because yeah, Angela, I got your hopes up. I got you all excited. It's so. torture. We'll see. Who knows? Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't. But all right. Probably that's, not. That's it for the news this week. We did have a listener question. So uh, we got a question from Grady C. this week. So thank you for your question. If anybody else is interested in asking a question for us to answer on a future show, you can head over to our website, EnchantedEarsPodcast.com slash podcast question and answer it over there. We always love hearing from our listeners and uh, answering their questions. So Grady's question is, I've been listening to the podcast for a yearish now and think it's great. Well, thank you very much. You're making me blush. That's not the question, but thank you. <laughs> Love the enthusiasm and interesting topics. My questions are, one, if you could add any original attraction to Disney World, what would it be? And two, what is the worst Disney food you've ever eaten? All right. So I had a lot of fun with these questions, and I've mentioned the first one before. And this also goes along with the theme of the Lion King that we were just talking about. But I would love an escape from elephant graveyard attraction. And I see it as, you know, like a roller coaster or it could be like one of those cool, like uh, trackless ride vehicles. But I do, I mean, I just think that that is begging for an attraction because it is just so cool with the purples and the grays and then you can have a part where you go through maybe the be prepared scene with the, with the, um, the smoke and the green. I mean, it, it is just so it's like a like eye candy, and I think it would just be so much fun as a ride. And then for the second question, the worst food that I've ever eaten was at the Skipper Canteen. Um, I pretty much hated everything I ate that day. Uh, I believe I had the curried vegetable crew stew, and I just thought everything was relatively tasteless. It didn't have very much going on for it. And then also at that meal, we also got the congalouche, and that's the African-inspired chocolate cake with caramelized bananas. Um, 
and maybe for somebody who likes like it was very rich I think I remember and it wasn't very sweet so I like a really super sweet dessert so for me I don't even think I finished it and that is unheard of I finish every dessert I pretty much have like a special pin that says I finish all my desserts so yeah that was we should make a pin that says that (laughs) just walk around everybody has Disney pins I'm celebrating you know happily ever after it's my birthday so once you get a pin that just says I I'm celebrating eating every dessert. We need to do that we need next to make time a, we go. No, let's make a t-shirt. Let's make a t-shirt no. with like a pin on it. No. I want to do it. No, next time we go down, I want to get one of those pins because they'll put anything you want on it and you just put I'm celebrating and then you just go eating every dessert because you could be celebrating that. You're just, you know, it's like eat, pray, love. You're on your, you're on your food <laughs> tour of, of Disney World. So, all right. So for me, you know, what original attraction would I want to bring to Disney World? You know, I, I don't necessarily have something specific in mind, but I for me, I would want any sort of attraction, I think, that's based on new IP or original IP. So not like you're saying something on The Lion King, not something based on the movies or you know Marvel or Star Wars, something like that. Something original, like kind of going back to Disney's roots when they created attractions based on original ideas, like It's a Small World or Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. I mean, even though Abraham Lincoln was a real person. It's an original idea. I would like something what? like <laughs> I would like something like that, or like Haunted Mansion, Pirates of the Caribbean. I, I think they need to get back to that. I think we need another attraction or two based on some sort of original IP. So something maybe uh, based on the Society of Explorers and Adventurers, I think would be really good. Oh, that would be cool. You know, I think you know recently, you know, one of the things they've done is over in Hong Kong Disneyland, uh, Mystic Manor, which is kind of their version of the Haunted Mansion, but it's based on an original story. And a lot of people say that's one of the best versions of the Haunted Mansion. It's an incredible attraction. And I know a lot of people want them to bring that stateside. So they can definitely do well with original ideas. I feel like they don't do that as much in the U.S. parks because the the bar is so high and these rides cost so much money that they want to make sure they have a slam dunk. Whereas I think internationally, I think they you know, test the waters out a little bit more. And so I'd like to see them do that and, and come up with some sort of original concept. I think that you're on to something there too because they have been bringing back the Society of Explorers and Adventurers a lot lately. I do think that they are going to have a Disney Plus show, right? I think that was something that they announced a while back. I, f- I Yeah, I, I mean, they, they've talked about that they're going to make shows based on the rides uh, for some of the rides that are related to the Society of Explorers and Adventurers. So I think there's a lot of thought that they're going to build this connected universe. I don't know if they've explicitly said it's going to be based on that, but they are using that more and more uh, overtly than just kind of as, as Easter eggs for people. Right. So I, I, I do think that that is something that they have that is really interesting. And then they can, of course, I mean, the thing is, they're not going to be building any rides like that unless they then make a movie about it. Because I think that the synergy there is just too great and it's too big of an opportunity. But they definitely could make a ride that then they turn into a movie or vice versa where they make the the movie takes so long that they come out with the, or I'm sorry. Yeah. The ride takes so long. The movie comes out first, but they come out like kind of close to each other. So yeah, I think that that's a cool idea. But th- so that's for me. So if I had to pick, I would say do it on society of explorers and adventures, but, but, but do something original. Don't, yeah, just kind of take, uh, you know, a, a proven property, you know, some sort of movie and just turn that into a ride. So for me, the, the worst food I've had, you know, I was thinking about this and I don't think I've ever really eaten anything that I, hate at Disney World. And I think that's also because I don't necessarily venture too far outside of my comfort zone. I'm not one to go to a restaurant and be like, 
I know I like this one thing, but I'm going to order this other thing instead and then be disappointed by it. I tend to stick with what I know. Truer words have never been spoken. But I will say, you know, thinking about this, I don't think it's the worst food I've eaten, but I think the most disappointed I've been and, and recently uh, I don't know if it was our last trip or the trip before, but with the 50th anniversary desserts. Mm. Um, so it was at the yeah. Hibachi restaurant in Japan and we looked it up and on Disney food blog, I forget even what it was called, but it was their 50th anniversary. I think like moose cake, I think uh-huh. it had matcha and stuff on it. I mean, it, it looks so beautiful. It was so big on the Disney food blogs website and it's like 15 or $20. So you're like, let's order it. It looks great. And it came out and it was so small. It was, it was the s- size of the ones like that you get in. Um, if you go to Suli canteen, yeah, kind of like those pods, like the right. uh, like the cheesecake pods. So yeah, it was very small. It was very underwhelming, and it really didn't taste that good. And I think for me, you know, those specialty desserts, and I think I've talked about this before. They're they're built to look good on Instagram. They're not made to really taste that great. And so I feel like having that one, I was really disappointed with it, and it was overpriced. The, the publicity photos made it look incredible. What you actually got was nowhere near that. It didn't really taste that great. So for me, I, I try to you know now stay away from, hey, these these specialty desserts that just look crazy, I don't order them. So, so I think that for me, that's probably the worst thing I've had. Yeah, I think that you are pretty, pretty right there. Yeah, that was really disappointing. Thanks, Grady, for your question. So let's jump into our main topic this week. So talking about the 1964-1965 New York's World Fair, which was a major turning point in the Walt Disney Company's history and the theme park history and kind of the technology they built. But also, as I was reading about this and researching for this one, was a very interesting World's Fair in terms of a World's Fair, of just kind of what was going on behind the scenes. Because it turned out it actually wasn't even an official World's Fair. So (laughs) it was called a World's Fair, but it was not even recognized by the Bureau of International Expositions as a World's Fair. Um, So just a lot going on here but a little background for people who may not be familiar with world's fairs i didn't think they had them anymore they still do yeah there's one in buenos aires coming up in 2023 yeah Yeah, and then osaka japan in 2025 so basically think of epcot i mean some people have actually said you know epcot is kind of like a permanent world's fair but it's basically like that where countries come together in a city they, they build pavilions and they basically show off, you know, their food, culture, technology, different things like that. They all have themes around them too, and that kind of ties into, you know, what you're showing off, what the theme is. Um, but there's two types of World's Fair, so or there's two types. So one is a World's Fair. This one is larger and more expensive. This is where countries build their own pavilions. These do not happen as often because they are so grand. They can uh, take place for up to six months. Uh, And then there's also a specialized expo. So these are smaller in scale. These may be only from a few weeks to a couple of months. And the countries may not build their own pavilions. They're still represented, but it's much smaller uh, in scale. These happen more frequently. Um, They started formally going back all the way to 1851. So they have a really long history. And they started during kind of the Industrial Revolution period. And it was, again this idea of industrialization and it was a place to come together and show off you know new productivity new technology and ways to like improve industry and kind of grow you know everybody's country in prosperity and really for the first you know 80 years it was really focused on this industrialization aspect it's kind of like a like a global think tank sort of you know everybody comes together oh wow look at 
Portugal has. Why don't we, you know, copy that because then we could make everything that we do so much more efficient. And yeah, that's really interesting that that's how how it was used. But before like the internet where people could more readily share things like that. Yeah. If anybody has watched The Great on Hulu, uh, this past season, Catherine the Great kind of had one of these where she's like, we're going to have all the countries and show off all of our science and technology. And like they build a roller coaster and like somebody else did that. It's kind of like that where, yeah, you come together and it's like, hey, those people are doing something really cool. Let's let's kind of do that. And then in the kind of the next time period so from 1939 to about 1987 those world's fairs were kind of centered more around cultural exchange so we've moved past kind of the industrial period it's now more about exchanging our culture exchanging our knowledge and then post uh, 1987 so in in the current uh, kind of model of this it's more around national branding so countries have started to use the fair to kind of improve their image and standing on a world stage so, you know, I think I read, especially some like smaller countries and things where people may not be familiar with them as, you know, globalization takes over, you kind of get your name out there, it helps tourists, people want to come to your country. Oh, I've never heard about you before. It looks really beautiful. You know, that sort of thing. And it, and it be, really became kind of a, a world stage for people. Some interesting structures that are still around today from previous World's Fairs, uh, kind of in North America. So the Japanese Tea Garden in Golden Gate Park, which I've actually been to, did not realize this, it was built for the 1894 Expo uh, over there in San Francisco, which is pretty amazing that it's been around that long. The Space Needle in Seattle and the Monorail was built in 1962. So you got a monorail there. That was kind of the revolutionary thing built um, for the one in 1962. And the one that probably looks the most familiar to all of us as Disney lovers, unless you're from Montreal, would be the Montreal biosphere, which basically looks like Spaceship Earth. Yeah, if you took the exterior out of Spaceship Earth, so if it kind of took the exterior skin off of it, uh, it would look like the Montreal biosphere. And that was uh, built for the one in in 1967. So kind of getting to the 64-65 World's Fair, it was run by Robert Moses, who was an urban planner in New York uh, in the early to mid 20th century, he dealt with a lot of major projects in New York and a lot of expansions. Uh, and it was a, a major urban planner there. And so that's why they, they kind of had him run this World's Fair because it was uh, a huge endeavor. I think it covered like 600 acres. So it was in Flushing Meadows in Queens, New York. You have to build all this infrastructure. Again, you're building all of these pavilions at 140 pavilions, 110 restaurants. 80 countries, just the scale of this and to have to put this together uh, is is pretty incredible to think about just building something for what's temporary as well. Well, right. And then also, okay, you just mentioned like all these restaurants, which I'm assuming that different countries would run the different restaurants. But then you have to imagine back then, I mean, we're in the 64, 65, the sourcing of ingredients how did they do it? Because if you're cooking like local fare from these countries, it wasn't like today where you kind of, you know, have these things that are evergreen. You can get bananas whenever, pineapples whenever. I mean, they, these countries probably had to bring them with them. And when they ran out, I guess they ran out and some things wouldn't import. I don't know. That's just crazy. Yeah. Again, logistically, it is insane to think about that and kind of going with that, the number of people there, to your point, you know, how would these restaurants kind of source all this stuff, maintain everything? Uh, They had 51 million visitors 
uh, for the World's Fair, which was actually somewhat of a failure because they were projecting 70 million and they only got to 51. But again, imagine 51 million people coming in yet to, to maintain this and to have enough supplies and food uh, is, is pretty incredible. The theme of this fair was actually peace through understanding. You know, I think that's really beautiful. It, it is. Telling people that if you just take the time to get to know and understand other people and other cultures, that we all have a lot in common. You're correct. And it would have been great if that's actually what happened. But again, <laughs> this thing kind of went off the rails for a number of reasons. So as we mentioned, it did not receive official approval. And because of that, the Bureau of International Exposition expositions actually requested that member nations not participate so most of europe and canada didn't participate but a a lot of smaller countries like spain japan sweden greece the vatican actually even had a presence but the major nations were not there so again that kind of hurt it as well and there was a number of reasons why it did not receive kind of the official stamp of approval and was named an official world's fair this reason seems pretty logical, but they can only have one fair in a country every 10 years. So Seattle, we just mentioned, had one in 1962. So in 64, that's not 10 years later in case, you know, math isn't your math. thing. Yeah, yeah. In case math isn't your thing. Yeah, you, you know, that's not 10 years right there. So it makes sense, too, that, you know, one country on, on a world stage couldn't just have all of the world's fairs. So I think that that's a reasonable rule. Yeah. So that was the first strike against them. The second strike against them was you're not allowed to charge rent to the uh, the countries, and they did that anyways because they said wow. this is going to cost way too much money. How are we going to pay for this? We'll just charge people rent, um, and this is kind of I think one of the things you know Robert Moses pushed for, and and he kind of petitioned to you know allow this to be again officially approved and things, but they kind of didn't go for it. So that was strike two, and then strike three was a World's Fair can only last six months. They did two six-month seasons, so that's why it's the 64-65 World's Fair. They did it over two six-month sessions because, again, they're trying to get a lot of people in. They're trying to get rent. They're trying to pay for all this. So three strikes there, and you're out. Hmm. No official World's Fair for New York. Because it's supposed to be about the countries, but then there aren't a lot of countries there, then corporations kind of took over and became really the theme there. So a lot of companies stepped in. So you had General Motors, Ford, Westinghouse, Kodak, IBM, and Bell Systems coming in and really kind of taking up some of the booze and getting exposure for their companies. Yeah, and it's interesting to see kind of that snapshot in time who the big companies were of the time because like Kodak, they're really not a player anymore bell bell systems got broken up they're at&t now westinghouse you know isn't as big a name general motors ford and ibm so you got about half of them are still still around pretty good but yeah so the corporations kind of took over because they needed people to fill these pavilions so it that theme of peace through understanding somewhat went out the window and it kind of became a place for these companies to show off kind of new technology things that were happening in the future you know, General Electric was there as well, kind of the electrical age, electrify your home, all those sort of things. And it kind of became more about that and, and kind of like cool technology, almost like a Stark Expo, like Tony Stark, <laughs> like, like in Iron Man 2, they kind of had Stark Expo, something about that, more about technology. So it was a huge U.S. presence with the U.S. corporations. There's a lot of uh, states and cities represented as well. And again, not so much like of the Illinois. rest of the world. Yeah, not so much of the rest of the world because they were kind of told not to participate and they really didn't participate. A couple like cool pavilions that they did have 
Um, so New, New York had a pavilion there, and they actually had observation towers, and they're still there. And if you've ever seen the original Men in Black, kind of at the climax of the movie, you see those observation towers there. So they're, they're still there. They were built for this World's Fair. There was a whole space park sponsored by NASA, which this would be like pretty awesome to see because they had, you know, this is before we went to the moon. So this is a few years before that, but this is kind of like the whole space race and everything going on. So they had a rocket booster there. They had a Gemini capsule. It, it was a couple acre uh, space park there. That would have been like really neat to see. And that was kind of like the setting of this. It's, it's cool technology. It's, it's futuristic stuff. And that became kind of the draw of, you know, this whole thing. And that kind of space park uh, is one great example of that. And then the last thing that they had was Florida had a dolphin show, which is really sad when you think about it, that these poor dolphins got transported to, to New York city to be there for two, six month stints. Plus I don't know how great their water heating was at the time, but it gets cold in New York city. So a lot of stress on the animals there. Um, for people's entertainment. But that is still a really cool booth when you think it. Don't think about it too much, though. I say really made it sad there. Well, it I is feel sad. bad. Yeah. It is sad. But I, I think it's... Because it's I, not like they're going into a zoo and they're going to be there forever correct. or whatever. Well, may, you know what? Maybe they got them from a zoo. Maybe they got them I'm, from a nearby zoo. Well, maybe... They maybe. never said the dolphins were from Florida. It was just that Florida had a dolphin show there, I which I think is just interesting. It's like, what's Florida going to do? We'll have a dolphin show. So with all of these uh, corporations, this is where kind of Disney comes in. So we've, we've talked quite a lot about this World's Fair without mentioning Disney, but yet this was a very important time for Disney. And so while Disney did not have a pavilion, Walt got involved because there were all of these corporations and they needed stuff to entertain people. Companies like General Motors and Ford are really good at building cars, but they have no idea how to entertain customers. <laughs> Yeah. So they, they, they weren't showmen and they needed somebody to help them out. Yeah. So I imagine these phone calls. Uh, Hi, Walt. Um, We need you. Well, what do you mean you need? Well, we have the World's Fair coming up and uh, we have no idea what to do. Can you come up with something for us? And then Walt's like in, in his background. He's like, hmm, what can I make them pay for under, your, under their dime? And then he agrees. And then he agrees again. And then he agrees again. Which yeah, so he, into. He, he, was, he was all over this World's Fair. But w what's interesting is... And I think this is kind of one of the things that made Walt such a great businessman and he had great like foresight and vision. And I think this is why ultimately he was very successful. We've, we've talked about this as we've you know done our series throughout the decades of the Walt Disney Company. I mean, very early on, they were having a hard time finding two nickels to rub together at certain <laughs> points. Yeah. And Roy was constantly going out for money. But Walt never let a good opportunity pass himself by. So, you know, when television was becoming popular and ABC, you know, needed, you know, TV, they turned to Walt Disney. Walt Disney makes, you know, great family content. Of course, we want Walt Disney. And he used that money to build Disneyland because he's like, I think this theme park idea is going to take off. I don't have money for it. I'm going to make ABC pay for it. And it turns out great. And, you know, he, he started to do these things. And so, yeah, when, when these companies started coming, calling, he goes, well, this is a great opportunity for basically these companies to fund my R&D. And that's what he yep. did. And he could have, you know, he could have easily said, "Yeah, I'll help you. You know, we'll we'll take kind of what we know and, you know, we'll spruce up your pavilions and and you know, we'll kind of make things interesting for you." But he he said, "No, we're going to, you know, take leaps forward here and you're basically going to pay for it." 
So Walt was working on audio animatronics uh, or, you know, AAs as they're called for a while. The term was actually first used commercially in 1961. Uh, they trademarked it uh, later in the 60s. So you know, he was kind of working on this stuff. Uh, and the idea for audio animatronics came because he got a toy bird in New Orleans and he wanted to make it better. And so he told one of his Imagineers, hey, make this better. <laughs> and so, so they started uh, with this and you got the Enchanted Tiki Room opening in 1963. I would love to be the person that says, hey, this thing is really cool, but I want you to make it cooler. Do it. Figure it out. Because... I try to do that to you all the time, but uh, yeah, I have a great idea. Why don't you? And then I agree. I agree. You're like, okay, go do it now. Could you imagine? (laughs) I mean, to be to be an Imagineer, I mean, is probably just got to be incredible, you know. And and I think even now it would probably be you know pretty awesome to build these worlds and to build these lands that people go to. But could you imagine in the '60s when Imagineering first started, and again, theme parks really didn't exist, and they're first building this stuff, or you're the person building the first animatronic in the early '60s, and Walt says, "Yeah, here's a here's a bird, you know, make it make it cool, make it you know work by itself." Like just to be a part of that would have to be something so magical and so spectacular to be a part of, you know, every day some new invention is occurring that has never been seen before and and never been done. And to think like you're a part of history and you're a part of like changing the world every day, it would have had to have been an incredible place because there probably wasn't a lot of people there. I mean, Imagineering is huge now. I mean, there weren't that many people when it was just Disneyland and to kind of be a part of that and working with Walt as he has this vision of, I think we can do something cool with this. Let's make an entire show around singing birds. Like just to be a part of that had to be absolutely amazing. I mean, there had to be energy just percolating all the time, like a, like an electricity sort of low level. And then sometimes would spike to high level when they could actually get it to work. Definitely. And I think that's probably why you see, you know, some of the greatest animators and things went into Imagineering and became incredible Imagineers because that place just had to attract the best creative minds because to have a, playground like that especially if you're an animator i mean drawing worlds and creating things like that's one thing but then to create them in real life and to like use those tools it just makes sense why you kind of had like the best of the best going over there so walt you know uses this opportunity hey i'm working on these audio animatronics we built a tiki room it's cool but we want to advance the technology so he uses this opportunity to use these corporations money to fund this and and because of that the 1964-65 world's fair is actually most known for disney perfecting his audio animatronic figures and he ended up doing uh, a couple different pavilions so he did one for pepsi he did one for general electric one for Ford Motor Company, and one for the state of Illinois. And all of them dealt with audio animatronics or new ride systems that ultimately either became rides or parts of existing rides at Disneyland. So whether you're a Pepsi or a Coke person, you have to give Pepsi credit here because they are indirectly responsible for It's a Small World. No, they're fully responsible (laughs) for it. They funded I mean, they didn't come up with the idea, I don't think. I, I mean, they did... Well... They kind of did, though. I mean, to a certain extent, because they wanted to do, you know, they had like a salute to UNICEF and the world's children. That was kind of their concept. Disney came up with this idea of animals and dolls and they're kind of interacting and frolicking. And then, of course, Walt Disney brings in the Sherman Brothers who come up with the song that you may or may not uh, really, really hate. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So this this was a you know great example. You had Mary Blair doing the designs, the Sher- Sherman Brothers, which they're they're here again uh, as well. You know, with the "It's a Small World" song. So yeah, it's interesting that it was the Pepsi Pavilion uh, that was "It's a Small World." So this helped them with not only uh, this attraction, but then also kind of the idea of a boat ride, which that system you know comes into play. Uh, in many other attractions over at Disneyland. The one that I kind of find really interesting is the General Electric Pavilion, and it was called Progress Land. And this is where they had the Carousel of Progress. So Disney invented this, and they you know hyped it up that it is a theater in which you move and and not the theater. So this was something that was pretty revolutionary at the time. And in in the press release and in the pamphlet that, you know, General Electric actually put out for this and it was all about the role of electricity in progress and kind of electrifying the home, which is why the Carousel Progress is all about these great, you know, advancements uh in technology and things around the home. But I was able to find General Electric's actually kind of promotional material about this and they talk about uh to quote to pack as much interest and entertainment as possible inside the three levels of the Progress Land exhibit, General Electric enlisted the master showman of them all, Walt Disney. Walt has used his resources to make Progress Land the number one attraction at the fair. He has filled it with surprising, often startling, and always pleasing evidences of his great ability to entertain. They're front and center talking about you know how Walt's involved in this. It is a three-story building, so you have the Carousel of Progress. Uh, at the bottom floor, you have a Sky Dome Spectacular, which was kind of a light show that Disney did as well. And the one thing I was like, hold on, is this real? They had a nuclear fusion demonstration in the middle of this. Uh, I mean, I don't know anything about nuclear fusion, but that does not sound safe. It does not sound safe. And and I was thinking about that, and I was like, hold on. Okay, they're, they're doing a demonstration of, of nuclear fusion okay, it's Disney, this is going to be kind of like a show, like it's not going to be real. But no, from from what I can tell, they actually had, I think it was very small, but they did a brief plasma explosion of controlled nuclear fusion in the center of this pavilion. And they, they did it. It was a show you could go see and kind of witness. Now, I'm sure it was behind like, you know, heavy like lead doors and things. And you probably just saw some like, meters and stuff going on but they allegedly you know really did controlled nuclear fusion uh, as part of this which is pretty amazing so you have this multi-level thing but yes you have the carousel progress which i think is you know one of the the best attractions uh, still at walt disney world another great song from the sherman brothers who who wrote the theme song there's a great big beautiful tomorrow so this was all part of general electric's pavilion so as we kind of alluded to earlier Illinois, the state of Illinois had their own pavilion, much like Florida did. And they, since, you know, Abe was from there, that's where they had the lifelike President Abraham Lincoln, who recites his uh, his famous speeches in the Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln presentation. And this was voiced by Royal Dano. And then those actual vocals were brought back in 2009. It's just absolutely crazy. I mean, this guy... Just a brief aside about Royal Dano is he had a 46-year career, and he was in so many movies and films, Bonanza, Hawaii Five-0, Lost in Space, Twin Peaks. That voice, you know, adds a certain richness to it. But you have to imagine, you know, being the pers- one of the, the people that goes to this fair, 
there had to have been a large section of the American population at the time that thought Walt Disney had made some sort of deal with the devil. Right. Like there was a lot of people that were like, he, this man is a wizard. He we need to destroy him because he definitely is. He's in the league with the devil. Yeah. And, and going back to, again, General Electric, their, their promotional material for Carousel of Progress. To your point, they're kind of talking about this uh, theater show that happens at six auditoriums, everything like that. And they say the players, in quotes, too, are remarkable. They move and talk and seem almost to breathe, yet they are electronically controlled figures specially designed by Walt Disney and are used here for the first time. So, again, this is something completely new. And to your point with with Abraham Lincoln, to, to be sitting there and to see – a dead president of the United States. I mean, Carousel Progress is cool, but those aren't real people. So you can kind of be like, oh, that's not a real person. But to see Lincoln come to life and and to have him mm-hmm. reciting his speeches there, it, it had to be, I mean, it's incredible to see it now, but to, to be there in, in the 60s and see this, you're right. You have to be like, what is Walt Disney doing? Like, how yeah. did he make this? Witchcraft, yeah. yeah. It's just crazy. And I, and I think because of that reason, again, it was... I mean, it probably was a gamble from Walt to try to do four pavilions. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, it was a lot, but yet it paid off so well because, again, you probably had millions and millions of people going to see this and just coming back blown away. And can you imagine, again, if you go there and you're going to tell your family, they made Abraham Lincoln. They're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and then Disney brings <laughs> they it. They probably thought those people were insane, too. Yeah. And Disney, and this was actually the first one. To, to move into the park. So they, they brought great moments with Mr. Lincoln to Disneyland in 1965, right after the World's Fair ended. So, you know, people are coming back and saying, you got to see this, you got to see this. Well, guess what? You got a place to go see it now. You, you got to mm-hmm. go to Disneyland and go see this. I mean, it's a great advertisement because you see, you know, this man, again, I mean, I'm sure that most people knew who Walt Disney was, but then if you went to this and you didn't already respect the name and you saw the things he was able to pull off, I mean, that's great ad. Like, that's a great ad for you going to visit one of his parks. Yeah. I mean, I, I would argue that it he probably got more publicity out of this than Pepsi or General Electric. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the state of Illinois. I mean, they probably really didn't care that much. It you know it promotes Abe Lincoln. Anytime you're pro- promoting Abe Lincoln, you're promoting the state of Illinois. So they're kind of getting their money's worth there. But I mean, General Electric, it's the Carousel of Progress. You're not remembering it's General Electric necessarily. The last pavilion that Walt worked on was with the Ford Motor Company, and it was the Ford's Magic Skyway. So this actually became the second most popular exhibit at the park, and it featured 354 Ford, Mercury, and Lincoln convertible vehicles. Uh, with uh, their engines and transmissions and everything removed uh, and the all new Mustang in a early precursor to the people mover ride system. So this ride system ultimately became what they used for the people mover. So again, it was a brand new ride system. So it was revolutionary from that aspect. And the audience members basically, you know, moved along the track in Ford vehicles. One of the scenes they went through was audio animatronic dinosaurs, so th- this attraction actually became two separate attractions. So you got the uh, animatronic uh, dinosaurs, that diorama, I guess didn't become an attraction, but it moved to the Disneyland Railroad. So mm-hmm. there's that diorama still there today. So it became an ex- uh, a kind of a plusing of that one. And then you got the people mover out of this ride system. And what's actually interesting is, you know, people may be wondering, well, why, you know, all these other ones, you know, great moments with Mr. Lincoln. It's a small world. I mean, they basically just moved as they were from the World's Fair into Disneyland. You know, why aren't we in convertible cars? And that's because Ford didn't want to sponsor it. 
you know, Disney went to Ford and said, hey, we're going to put this in the parks. Do you want to continue to sponsor you know, this people mover? And Ford said, no, we're good. Because at that time, Disney was kind of looking at the people mover as a mode of transportation. And so wow. you have to kind of think about this. He was thinking of Epcot as well, that people are going to move around. They're not going to need cars, things like that. And so Ford didn't want to be seen as sponsoring something that was kind of their replacement, which may or may not have been short-sighted but well right but if they were if something was going to replace cars and there are many car companies and a lot of uh you know other competition if they then kind of moved ahead with this new type of transportation they'd be the first people in it and would make lots of money again exactly it's kind of the the kodak thing i mean you, you read stories about kodak and i mean kodak had digital cameras i mean they had you know invented digital cameras and and they were like hey we should sell these things and the kodak executives were like no, we make money selling film and developing film. We're going to do film. And now no. nobody uses Kodak anymore. Yeah. So, so yeah, so they didn't want to be seen sponsoring the replacement for cars. So Disney went to Goodyear and Goodyear said, yeah, we'll do it. And so they put Goodyear tires on everything on the people mover. And, you know, that's why it's not, you know, convertible cars. It's, it's the people mover um, trains, but they put Goodyear tires on it and, and the rest is history. So all of these things came into the park. So as we mentioned, great moments with Mr. Lincoln, Debuted in 1965 after the World's Fair. The People Mover came in 1967, along with the Carousel of Progress. And It's a Small World came in 1966. So within a couple years, all of these things came to the theme parks. And actually, the Carousel of Progress that we have at the Magic Kingdom is the same Carousel of Progress that was at the World's Fair. It was at Disneyland, and now it's at Walt Disney World. So kind of a, a piece of history there if you're you know at the Magic Kingdom. But like we talked about, I think one of the big things was People went to see this stuff and a lot of hype about what Disney was doing. And then within a couple years, you could go to Disneyland and go see this. And I think you see that from the attendance numbers. So in 1963, uh, a year before the World's Fair started, they had 5.6 million visitors at Disneyland. A year after 1966, they were up to 6.7 million. So a decent jump, uh, about a you know maybe close to 20% jump there within a couple years. And then only a few years after that, so again, some of these attractions didn't come until 1967. By 1969, they were up to 10 million visitors a year. So within the span of six years, they almost doubled their attendance. And I think a big part of it was having this publicity and having these attractions at Disneyland. Huh. That's really interesting that it was able to, again, to sort of bolster and build disney's cred like he kind of got like street cred from this and everyone started to see him again is you know this this theme park idea actually might be worth going to and traveling to see because of what he's able to pull off yeah and it also proved that his entertainment and his you know brand of entertainment works outside of theme parks yeah you know disneyland was doing well but they're probably was this idea that, okay, Disneyland works well, but it's not going to work well everywhere. And the fact that he made these four pavilions, some of the most visited pavilions at the World's Fair proved he can make entertainment for everybody. It's interesting because everyone, even today, it's still like his style is still very applicable. Like the, you know, the spectacle is what attracts people. That's why Mr. Beast is so large on on YouTube because he just does these really grandiose plans and these really crazy things that are exciting and have lots of twists and turns and keep you kind of riveted and watching. And that's what Walt Disney did. Yeah. I think the other thing that this did, and I think this is why 
it, it really changed the trajectory of the theme parks. One, because the attendance and again, people understanding his style of entertainment works and, and Disney becoming an even bigger name and even bigger legend. But the amount of, of money he got and what he was able to produce. So again, in 1963, he has audio animatronic birds. I mean, the Tiki Room's great, but if you go see those animatronics, they show their age. I mean, it's pretty easy to make a bird flap its wings <laughs> and its beak go up and down, right? I mean, let's let's be honest. It's it's incredible. But in 1963, he had some birds, okay? Within four years, he's brought Abraham Lincoln back to life. So, <laughs> I mean, that that is an insane jump in four years' time to go that far advanced in technology. You have the Carousel of Progress as well, which has characters. And in 1967, he opens Pirates of the Caribbean with the most animatronics they've ever done in an attraction, which that was originally supposed to be a wax museum walkthrough. And these animatronics did so well, they built dozens of them and put them in this attraction. So I think that's the biggest jump. The fact that he got all this R&D funded and it accelerated how quickly he could fund this R&D. I mean, this is just kind of me speculating, but I would argue it probably put him a decade ahead that if he did not have this World's Fair you would not have had Lincoln until probably the seventies. You would not have, and and he might have just had Lincoln. He might not have been able to mass produce these animatronics we that quickly. We would probably all still be driving horse and buggies if if it wasn't for the nineteen sixty four sixty five. I think fire. I think horse and buggies were were gone, but specifically with Disney, I <laughs> I just think it pushed him probably a decade ahead in just how quickly he developed this stuff. And so if you think about it. If you're now a decade behind and you don't have these animatronics, are you going to get the attendance jump that you have at Disneyland? Are you really going to be looking at Walt Disney World? Are people going to be as excited about the theme parks? Are they going to start getting a little bit stale because there's not as much uh, new stuff there? You're not as entertaining. The other thing is, you know, Walt died in, in the late 60s. And so would the company have continued his vision and try to keep pushing forward in this medium? Or where they said, we've spent millions of dollars and years trying to make this stuff work. It's not working quite right. We need to cut back on it. So the fact that, again, in four years, he was able to, to create all this stuff and then proved it worked. Now you can't get rid of it. Now you can't yeah. stop investing in it. You have to keep moving forward because now you see what's possible. You see how people react to it. And now it's like, we need to make them we need to make more of them. We need to make them better. We need to make them, uh, you know, more efficient and, and, and up the spectacle that I, I think we are not where we are today if it wasn't for this World's Fair, which is incredible because to think, you know, this, this World's Fair that no countries came to up in Queens and New York really changed the course of theme park and Disney history uh, is pretty phenomenal. I can't help but speculate a little bit here because now you got my my creative juice is flowing a little and it does make me wonder, you know, what would have happened? How would the world be different? How would things be different if Walt had never picked up a cigarette? Like what would, because he died at the age of 65. So, I mean, that's not young, but that also isn't like really particularly old. I don't think he was 
probably in really super poor health. He was doing really well, I think, otherwise. So, I mean, six, at 65 years old, he's probably going to – he could work because I think he was the kind of person that really saw work as an integral part of his life. He wouldn't probably retire. Oh, he so, loved it. He loved yeah, it. Yeah, so, I mean, I could see him working for another 10, 15 years as long as his health held up and his – like his mental – abilities like held up like what other ideas could we have gotten from walt um or you know had him kind of because i imagine we'd have flying cars (laughs) i you know people have joked about flying cars and stuff like that you know i feel like that it's it's kind of like you know same thing with like steve jobs yeah i was just gonna say it reminds me of steve jobs Jobs would have lived longer i mean i mean the 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 thing about people like that and, and it's just it is amazing like the things they can create and obviously there's a lot of failures along the way, but yeah, you, you do kind of wonder like, what if you would have had another few years? I mean, Roy lived to be 78. So, I mean, another decade of time, yeah. you know, Walt, we probably would have had actual Epcot. We would have had a city. It wouldn't have been a theme park, but we would have had a city. Would the magic kingdom be the magic kingdom? Walt probably would not have just wanted to do a straight copy of Disneyland in Florida. He probably would have wanted to do something different. Again, push the envelope, change things, make it exciting. And things would, I think, yeah, have been you know pretty dramatically different. And I joked about flying cars, but we might have had them. We might have had flying cars <laughs> I mean, at that point. Yeah, like because you, you imagine how much of a draw that would have been. I, I mean, this is if, man, I, there's so many books uh, that you could probably write just imagining that's, you know, somebody who was extra—I mean, extraordinarily influ- influential—would have lived longer. How would the world be different? Because, I mean, I don't know. We could probably do a whole episode just speculating how everything would be different. Hope everybody enjoyed listening this week. Next week we'll be talking about all the news, uh, all the stories that came out of D twenty three, giving our thoughts on that. So be sure to tune into next week's show. If you've not done so, please subscribe so you'll be the first to be notified for that. Leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. It really helps, and we really appreciate it. Thanks for lending us your ears. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you here next Monday. Bye bye.